Chapter Twelve of Prisoner of the Mill. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christian Bilka. Prisoner of the Mill by Harry Hazelton. Chapter Twelve: The Mountain Adventure. Let us return to the army which we left near Lebanon. The main force was to continue its march onward towards Rolla while a battalion of infantry, a section of artillery, and a company of cavalry struck to the west of the main road, and started for the point from which the messenger had arrived. It was a weary march, as the troops already had proceeded twenty miles that day, but the dreadful atrocities related as having been committed by the guerrillas fired the hearts of the brave soldiers, and they pressed forward with a will. The troops at last reached the scene of the outrages, in the place known as Bohannon Mills Valley, the deeds of blood and horror had not been exaggerated by the messenger. Women had been murdered in their beds. Old men were lying stiff and cold, with their brains beaten out, and children, helpless and weeping, were clinging to their dead bodies or wandering distractedly around. The battalion which had been sent to this value was the one to which Lieutenant Wells and Adjutant Hinton belonged. Wells was still suffering from the terrible anxiety of mind which he had recently undergone, but did not permit his own troubles to interfere with his discharge of duty. The troops camped in the little valley to collect the scattered families whose remaining members it was determined to take along with the army in its retreat. Soon word was brought by a mountaineer that the guerrillas still were infesting the mountain, while the flames of a burning mill seen below seemed to give evidence that the miscreants still were at their work of blood. This decided the officers to scour the mountain if possible, to force the rebels to a fight, for there was not a man in the Union ranks who did not pant for a chance to meet those dastards, who, under the protecting folds of the Confederate flag, committed atrocities at which humanity stood aghast. Wells was soon at the head of a strong party of dismounted dragoons, and with them struck off for the hills back of the burning mill. A weary march was brought to a sudden halt by a deep water gully, over which no perceptible ford offered a passage. Up and down it Wells passed to reconnoiter. It was an ugly spot to be caught in by a willy foe, and the troops were so disposed as to guard against a surprise. The men kept close under the cover of the dense undergrowth, so as not to betray their position should the guerrillas come upon them. Lieutenant Wells and Adjunct Hinton were proceeding up the watercourse, when a rattle of firearms arrested their attention. It was evident some kind of a conflict was taking place over the stream. The volley was not, however, answered by a return. Only a single shot was heard, and then a wild, frenzied shout, as if of maddened men. After a brief interval, another shot was heard, and a second paralyzed howl was followed by shouts and curses, plainly heard by the two anxious senior officers. It must be the guerrillas after the poor Unionists who have fled to the mountain, said Hinton. Our men must not be idle when such work is going on. You stay here, Wells, to watch further while I go back to bring up our boys. Hinton hurried away, while Wells crept forward to the very edge of the deep but narrow gully beyond which the sound of conflict were heard. Hardly had he secured a spot for observation, ere he was startled by the crash of the undergrowth and the voices of men not ten rods away. On toward the lieutenant's place of concealment came the pursued and pursuers. The first was but a single man, whom Wells several times detected gliding from tree to tree, keeping under cover like an experienced woodsman. 
he was closely pursued by a band of guerrillas, all dismounted, who were making the hills echo with their demonic yells. Slowly the fugitive retired, holding the foes at bay by his sagacious maneuvers. Wells became intently excited over the scene, and resolved to rush at once to the brave fellow's aid, but there lay before him an impassable gulf over which few men could bound. Finally the hunted man struck the gully, and saw at a glance that his retreat was cut off. The enemy saw it, too, for they set up a shout of commingled derision and pleasure, which so maddened the fugitive that he yelled, Laugh away, you dark skunks! I'll make more than one of your dirty carcasses food for the crows before I go under. And suiting the words to action, he fired two successive shots from what, apparently, was a double-barreled fowling piece. Two of the gorillas must have fallen, for ferocious shrieks of agony followed. Wells could endure no more. There stood before him his brave friend William Nettleton, hunted by a dozen fiends who must soon overpower him if aid was not quickly given. He started backward for a couple of rods, then rushed with almost flying swiftness up to the gully and bounded over its sharply cut edge. For a moment his desperate leap arrested all attention. Nettleton deemed it a new adversary coming upon him from an unexpected quarter, and turned, knife in hand, to close in with his antagonist. What was his astonishment to welcome Lieutenant Wells into his arms? What a shout followed! The guerrillas quickly sought cover, not knowing how many others might be lurking on the opposite side of the ravine to give them a bloody welcome. Wells, by the jumping jingo! Where did you come from, and where is you going to go? Give us your hand and lend us your revolver. Ah, got two of em, array! Down on your knees, quicker than lightning, for the women murderers are after us. Sharp! Down the two men fell, just in time to escape a volley from the carbines of a squad of the murderers. With the dexterity of a squirrel, Nettleton rushed forward to a friendly tree, and fired quickly three shots from the revolver. It was a surprise to the enemy, for two of their number fell. So true had the aim been. The squad retreated to reload, but Nettleton had no idea of permitting that, and was about to press his advantage when a powerfully built rebel came rushing upon him, knife in hand, from the right side of the tree, unseen by the undaunted man until it was too late for the use of his firearm. In a moment they were clasped in the death struggle. Three or four of the guerrillas rushed to the spot, only to be shot down by Wells' deliberate aim. No more appeared and the two combatants were left for their fearful work. Each had seized the knife-hand of the other, then followed the strain of muscle for the mastery. The gorilla, counting upon his tremendous strength, doubtless hoped for an easy victory, but in that ungaining form he found a bundle of nerves tough as whalebone, a human frame elastic as Indian rubber, but as invincible as steel. Down toward the gully the combatants pressed, in vain did the rebel try to force his antagonist to the earth. The supple form of Nettleton bent under the adversary's pressure, but his frame at length rebounded with a force which bore the gorilla to his knees. He drew the Federal down with him, and on their knees the frightful combat was continued. Wells would have advanced from his concealment to the rescue, but knew that a rebel carbine would surely bring him down, and thus place it out of his power to aid his friend at all. Slowly toward the chasm the men worked their way, struggling like two serpents striving for the death triumph. It was an exciting but appalling spectacle, which the sudden roar of firearms on the left did not serve to arrest. A shout followed, which Rells recognized as that of his own men, 
who must have discovered a crossing below, and have come upon the band of cutthroats unawares. There was a sudden scattering of those concealed in the immediate vicinity of the hand-to-hand -hand contest, but one villain rushed from his cover upon the writhing forms of the bleeding men, with the design of dispatching the unconquered Federal. Wells was upon him like a tiger, and in a moment cut him down with his sword. Hinton beheld the stroke, and came rushing up to the spot just in time to behold the struggling men go over the gully's bank together. The two officers hurried to the bank. Some twenty feet below they could distinguish the forms of the combatants, both apparently lifeless. Without a moment's hesitancy, Wells dropped from the brink and fell crashing through the dense jungle lining the water's edge to the bed of the stream. He was stunned but not injured, and arose to his feet to find Nettleton in a sitting posture. Beside him lay the big gorilla, silent in death. "'I'll be danged if that wasn't the ugliest cuss I've ever tussled with. Breeches holt. Back holt or rough and tumble.' This was his first ejaculation. "'Are you injured?' anxiously inquired Wells. "'Well, let's take a reconnoitre. There's a hole in this arm that spilled the only good coat I've ever had, dang it. There's a rip, too, in the collar. Where well, the critter's knife tried to cut my windpipe. He did scratch me thar, I believe, he said, fingering his neck down which the blood flowed freely. By Gemini, if I hadn't lost a finger, he added, suddenly holding up his hand. Now it's too bad, if it's on the left hand. I rather think the Reb got a mouthful when he chewed that off and thus he would have continued for another ten minutes had not shouts from above aroused him. "'Who's come?' he asked. "'Hinton and the battalion.' "'Glory! And have the Rebs been caught in a trap?' "'I don't know how many, but from the shouts and shouts I don't think many will be permitted to escape.' "'All right, now just give us a lift to see if my shanks is all right.' "'There, that's the juniper. Just look at my back and see if you find any holes that won't plug in. No holes were found, and the good-natured fellow came out of the combat with only flesh wounds, save the loss of one finger from the left hand, which the gorilla had bitten off. Nettleton was much exhausted, and was finally drawn up out of the gully with no little difficulty, when the men set up a shout which made the hills ring. "'There, boys, that'll pay for the bruises, and now I guess you'll have to do me another favor. Just rub my shanks and the hinges in my back with a little whiskey, if you can spare it. In a moment, a dozen pocket flasks were produced, and willing hands gave him a good rubbing, which gave his limbs new strength. It was evident that his muscles had been severely overtasked, for he was languid and incapable of exertion. Nettleton now narrated the particular of his and Fall Leaf's adventures. Soon the troops were out on the search for Captain Hayward, while, assisted by a couple of comrades, the wounded hero of the hour made his way down to the cabin of Old Madge. The old creature received him kindly and at once bestirred herself to make him strong again. The air was soon odoriferous with the smell of distilling herbs. A prolonged shout, ere long, came rolling down the hill. Nettleton was aroused from a sleep into which he had fallen. His two comrades at once hurried out to ascertain its cause. Old Madge paused in her toil and said, The captain's found, I suppose. Hooray! yelled the invalid now an invalid no longer. Springing from his bed, he rushed out, and away he went up the hill in the direction of the still-continuing noise. His companions, astonished at his sudden recovery, followed, and all were soon lost to sight. Harry Hayward was indeed found, and the cavalcade, bearing him on a rude litter, after a half-hour's time, 
made its appearance coming down the mountain. Nettleton was at his side, crying like a baby. Wells held the sick man's hand, while his face, still expressing anxiety, beamed with joy. Hayward was discovered hidden in a quiet, cool nook, where he lay in a very exhausted condition. He had, in this fevered delirium, broken away from Madge's custody, but no sooner was he out in the cool shade of the trees and rocks than his mind became clear and composed. Weak and ill as he was, he still had strength to seek a place of safety from pursuit, should it be attempted, as he supposed it would be. At nightfall he had determined to seek out some respectable-looking farmhouse, and on the morrow to cast himself upon the mercy of strangers knowing that even though that stranger might be a foe he could not be more inhuman than men wearing the uniform of confederate officers but the sufferer was spared further efforts the shouts and reports of firearms hayward distinctly heard and at once surmised that a union force was at hand when the men scattered in squads for the search through the mountain the captain beheld one of the parties passing before his hiding-place it was his moment of deliverance he stepped out before the astonished soldiers, who, not recognizing the apparition, did not at once welcome him. "'My men, don't you know me?' "'Captain Hayward!' they shouted, as they rushed upon him and clasped him in their arms. He was borne toward Madge's cabin, to be welcomed on the way by the gathering men. Wells now appeared. The joy of that meeting can be surmised. The welkin was made to the ring with the glad notes of the jubilant soldiers. These notes it was which aroused the sleeper in the cabin, and when at length he appeared, struggling wearily up the hill, the cavalcade paused to permit the overjoyed parties a few minutes of undisturbed greeting. Nettleton was not even talkative, a circumstance indicative of the depth of his feeling, and it was not until the captain was fully domiciled in the cabin that he could even consent to talk of the past and its painful incidents. He then narrated the events of Walker's plot, as we have here recorded them, ending with the tragedy of the mill. It was a revelation of intense but most painful interest to the sick man. But he bore the affliction of his sister's loss with great resolution, sustained by the conviction that he who doth all things well would not permit the evil one to triumph. End of chapter 12